What's up, Story Geeks? Welcome to The Mandalorian Show on the Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. I'm Jay Shear, author of the time travel novel Time Slingers, and with me to dig deeper into this spoiler-filled show covering episode 5 of The Mandalorian, four Star Wars Story Geeks who are all getting Baby Yoda-themed merch for Christmas. Daryl Smith. Is that a promise? Are you getting something for us? I'm assuming your family's buying it for you. Oh. This is what I feel like it should Let be. Let down. Justin Weaver is here as well. Greetings, greetings. And Ashley Pauls is with us. Hello. And last but not least, one of the stars of the Mandalorian TV show, oh, Albie Madrigal. Oh, oh, oh. How you Person, doing? <laughs> personal friend of Dave Filoni. Yes, Dave. <laughs> yes. All right, so we're going to dig deeper into episode five here. But as we get started, uh, I'm wondering, Daryl, I'll start with you first on this one, and we'll just go around the table, so to speak, even though we're not all in studio. On a scale of Bantha Pudu to full Beskar armor, what would you give episode five? Well, there's some subjectivity here, right? Like, What, what if, does that mean? What, <laughs> if, what if someone's a fan of Bantha Pudu? I'm just saying. Yeah, there's right. weirdos out there, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't know what's in between there. Um, so I, that's a that's a hard rating system. I would I would give it a, a nearly Beskar armor rating. Oh, okay. I would say. Yeah. Um, definitely more towards that side. Okay. I think there was a little bit more fan service in this one, uh, and a little less progression of the story. Yeah. But. Mm. Uh, I, I also thought that they nailed Moss Eisley Cantina. It looked really good. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, it was super fun, and I really enjoyed it, and it was cool to see Ming-Na Wen finally. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, I am going to have to pretty much just agree with you, Daryl. Definitely uh, more towards the Beskar end. Um, but I think that three episodes three and four kind of remain the highlights of this season for me. And um, I liked this episode five, but it didn't seem as significant to the plot. Like it didn't give us as much for the Mandalorian character as three and four gave us. So it was fun. But like when we look back over the season, I don't know that this is going to be a standout episode. But again, still mm. fun, enjoyable to watch. I completely agree. I mean, not full Beskar armor, but maybe a few Beskar ingots. Oh, um, well done. Well done, <laughs> sir. Yeah, so, I mean, again, fan service is pretty much what this episode was. It was really cool seeing a lot of that. And I think this, not really a filler episode, but more like a, a you know, setting up uh, the Mando with uh, baby, uh, not baby Yoda, shall we say, the child. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I liked it. On your scale that you provided, I gave it Imperial Stormtrooper armor oh, as a rating. Oh, nice. Um, okay. Because uh, I think it's awesome. It looks good. Uh, but I also have some notes. Um, yeah. yeah, it felt a little <laughs> bit more like uh, a Monster of the Week kind of an episode and yeah. didn't mm. move the broader story forward, except for maybe in the last few moments right. uh, when we meet the mysterious stranger. Yeah, yeah. Or at yeah. least mm -hmm. his shins. <laughs> um, his or her shins, I guess. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I am in agreement with all of you guys. It felt to me like uh, Dave Filoni was the director, and it felt to yeah. me a little bit more like an episode of the animated series, um, even down to some of the acting, which I would say Pedro Pascal always brings it, but not all of his castmates necessarily <laughs> necessarily do. Um, yeah. So, and that's not necessarily a salvo at any actor in particular it's just more so i think i think that those kind of things are usually directional like directorial problems not necessarily 
um, not necessarily acting problems. And as much as I like Dave Filoni, this is probably his first episode of live television that he's directing, right? So um, outstanding first job, you know? Like, this is this is really great, and I uh, still continue to love The Mandalorian. Sorry, I think it was his second. Yeah, because I think he directed the first one. Yeah, he did the premiere. Oh, he did. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right. This, one, this one felt a little bit more like an animated series, and that one actually is – I. The first episode is one of my favorites. So I love episode yeah. three and, and episode one are my two favorite episodes. So, yeah, I'll give him a pass because uh, Dave Filoni is pretty much awesome. And just for <laughs> quick context, too, like we, we've been making a few jokes here and there that you're like, I don't understand those jokes. Albie is a member of the 501st and has created – how many full suits of armor have you created at this point, Albie? Oh, geez. Um, I have four? Four costumes? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So not only is Albie an expert in Beskar, but he <laughs> is an expert in Star Wars in general. So hence our hence our jokes. Hence our jokes. <laughs> um, so episode five takes us to Tatooine, and we get to revisit the most Eisley Cantina, which you referenced, Daryl. Sorry. Um, how did you feel about going back to where Star Wars essentially started? And then how did you feel about the changes that have occurred on Tatooine since we last saw it? Albie, I'll start with you this time. It was really cool. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, like the old with the new. It was really cool seeing it with, you know, modern takes. Um, but when I saw the other bounty hunter, I was like, how dare you sit where he sat? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it was pretty cool. I really liked what they did. I mean, it's always cool to return to the roots of Star Wars. I mean, A New Hope is where it all began and kind of set the tone for this whole series. So it's always fun to return to that cantina and um, see how the ways that it kind of feels similar, but also feels different as these years have passed. But um, in terms of the show and kind of fan service, I would definitely like to see them keep focusing on new locations because Tatooine doesn't necessarily have significance to the Mandalorian character. It's more for us, the fans, like, oh, hey, we're seeing Tatooine again. Mm. So um, I didn't mind kind of that little trip down memory lane, but I don't, I wouldn't want them to do that too much, if that makes sense. Agreed. Absolutely. I thought it was super cool, um, but I was really fascinated specifically with the cantina that... Um, it was much more empty mm. than the last time we saw it. Yeah, uh, there was a droid bartender when they weren't even allowed in the door <laughs> when right. we last visited. Oh yeah. Um, but then even just that, while we saw some alien creatures, it was less impressive and overwhelming than uh, how we originally were introduced. Mm. And I think you know part of it is just there were fewer uh, beings in the room, but also from the point of view of Luke Skywalker, who would have been coming in and just, you know, being overwhelmed by the variety of creatures that were there, the Mandalorian wouldn't have been. Yeah. So just Mm. even, it was fascinating that we walked in with a different persona, not only with a different character, but also as an audience that has also seen a lot of Star Wars and is a little less impressed by just the variety of creatures because we've all seen it it's not the first time we've walked into this cantina so i just thought even those elements were fascinating i thought it was awesome it was also nice to clarify for me that they weren't on tatooine before with the jawas Mm, and stuff like that because i at the time i thought that might have been tatooine but navarro is that they're calling it navarro Navarro. Yeah. yeah um but i thought it was really cool i thought they nailed like i said before they nailed the cantina yeah like it looked exactly the same yeah um, I loved sort of the progression of time, you know, the stormtrooper helmets on, on pikes and stuff like that yeah. was really cool. And it definitely seems like a different tattooing 
which I like. Yeah. I like that they show some effect from what happened in the movies. So. Yeah, and the next question is going to get deeper into that. The, the the only thing I thought about the cantina that seemed a little bit um, different to me was it seemed smaller. And I don't know if that's because mm-hmm. there was fewer people in it or if it was oh, because funny. Yeah. they built a smaller version of it. I don't, I'm not sure, but it, it seemed uh, it seemed smaller. I did like the, the – so I am a little bit on the Ashley side of life where I would go – I would have been fine not going back to Tatooine because it's not really mm. – it is for sure fan service when you go back to Tatooine. I do like the fact that they changed it up quite a bit. I mean, we're talking about a place where when it was uh, being overseen by the Empire, it was a haven for scum and villainy, in mm-hmm. most Eisley especially. Um, and yet now it seems like it's pretty chill. <laughs> it's like it didn't seem like dangerous at all, kind of. Yeah, between so, the Empire and the Huts being gone. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so which leads us into the next question, which is a perfect segue. I'll say one more thing real quick. Yeah. I felt like the sand people, the Tuscan Raiders, were uh-huh. too clean. <laughs> too clean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like they just—they didn't seem quite as gritty as they did. And well, we're going to talk about that. Like we're that have a, so. We have an entire question based off the Tuscan Raiders, so right, we'll get back right. to that. But in most Eisley, we see the stormtrooper helmets on spikes. As Justin mentioned, we see that the there's droids running the bar that droids were not allowed in before. Um, and then the city doesn't really seem, as I said, like scummy or villainous, um, as it or as populated actually as it did years back. So, what do you guys think happened to Tatooine in this time, Justin? What 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 went on here? I feel like the people had a grassroots revolution, and so there was kind of a decision that was, you know, what is the virtuous thing to do, um, and it's to reject the elements of scum and villainy that were you know present from the huts from the bounty hunter guild from Mm. the empire um when we see that the um stormtrooper helmets are on spikes yeah that is super low tech so that looks like just the residents did that right that's not uh, an army that's not the alliance Mm. you know that is something that was just local Mm. um and so it's really interesting to see that even though the right thing has happened it also looks like that put the locals in a hard place fiscally like Uh. you you have fewer finances coming through the the bar isn't as (laughs) popping as it was before there aren't as many people walking down the street uh to buy from the local vendors and stuff so it looks like ultimately good has been done but then there are just some hardships that come with fewer people there whether it was scummy villainous people or virtuous people there are still fewer people there right yeah pretty much the same thing i think uh there was an uprising it seems like in a new hope at least there was some sort of imperial occupation on tatooine especially in the most Eisley area and it seems like that went badly (laughs) (laughs) after the imperial (laughs) went down in return of the jedi yeah, I think what everyone has said so far sounds um, really good. I really liked the Stormtrooper helmets imagery. I think it was really striking, and it tells a story just right there, even though we don't know all the details, you know, what life was exactly like maybe under Imperial rule, like at what point an uprising may have happened or if the New Republic came in and cleaned things up. But it's just such a striking image and brings the war kind of to a smaller scale. Like when we think of the Star Wars, the battle against the Empire, we think of the big, you know, final battle in Return of the Jedi where the ships are flying around and shooting at each other. But um, the Empire would have affected smaller populations like this too. Mos Eisley is not a big player on the galactic scale, but the Empire affected them. And, 
yeah, it is really interesting to see how the population is seems a little bit smaller, a little bit less lively. So there's some interesting stories to tell there. Maybe some other Star Wars story will return um, and tell those stories later on. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, Albie, how do you feel seeing all of your, your brothers-in-arms helmets on spikes like that? <laughs> what, does that <laughs> what does that do to you? It was a little scary, to be honest. Um, but funny story, all those helmets were Black Series helmets, so ones you can go by the source. Yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. But I feel like this is a different time, obviously, after the fall of the Empire. So I, I feel like this is more like the calm before the storm of the First Order. So everyone just banding together to get rid of the remaining Empire uh, mm. people there. And that's what they did to warn them. So I think this is just like, you know, the calm before the storm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I want to see the uh, the storyline wherein the modal nodes go crazy. <laughs> just start <to> <laughs> that's, what, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. The Cantina Band goes nuts and starts... Destroying all of the ruling parties. No, I think you guys are. I think you guys are really onto something. I think um, when you see, and you, I mean, I think you see this in real life uh, to a certain extent too. Like when you see these um, really powerful empires arise, you also see the uh, the underbelly of that. So you yeah. uh, you mentioned it, Justin. You mentioned the huts. The huts were basically allowed to do kind of whatever they wanted to under the empire's purview, as long as they didn't mess with the empire. It seems like. And so what happens when the Huts are sort of defeated um, based on what we see in Return of the Jedi? And then what happens when the Empire is then defeated? It kind of like removes a lot of attention from that area. And now that area is kind of kind of dead. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see if they're, if they're ever going to go back and address it. It'd be kind of fun to see exactly what had happened, uh, what had transpired there. But um, Tatooine was certainly one of the... If there was a bright center of the galaxy, it's the place furthest from. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of attention there anymore at all. So that's that's Luke's home planet. Uh, let's uh, talk about George Lucas and the Tusken Raiders. <laughs> so George <laughs> Lucas showcased the Tusken Raiders on Tatooine as, this is my word, I'm, I'm applying this word to him based on his portrayal of them, but as savages both in A New Hope and then again in Attack of the Clones. And yet here, the Mandalorian points out that they're just trying to protect their land. So, Daryl, you had brought this up, too, so I'll start with you. Mm -hmm. What's your take on the Tusken Raiders, and what should we think or feel about them? Well, I mean, first of all, in Attack of the Clones, we get some hint that they're a little bit more than savages, right? Like, right. Anakin says that he killed women and children yeah. when he slaughtered them. So we get some sense that they at least have a version of family, yeah. And some sort of clanship but or wouldn't, something. Wouldn't most people have that? <laughs> yeah, but it, but, it, carry on but it makes them it makes them more of a people group than mm. a set of monsters. You know what I mean? Because like, because sure. after a new hope, we don't know what's under those masks. Yeah, like when yeah, I was yeah. a kid, I didn't know were those masks yeah. or is that actually their faces? Like, right. right, I didn't know. So, so that kind of clarifies it. But I like this. I like what we see in this episode because if you follow it as a through line mm -hmm. and start with Attack of the Clones where there's some indication that they have a sense of family. Right. And then see them in A New Hope, where they're basically just savage pirates. Right. You know? And then see them here, after Return of the Jedi, where the Empire is sort of taken down on Tatooine and things are a little bit right. quieter and a little bit more toned down. Maybe they've let down their guard a little bit mm -hmm. and they're willing to like actually work with people and communicate with people if they feel like they can trust them. Yeah. I don't think they're like 
nice. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> want to go hang out with them. But uh, I like the progression that, you know, they started as maybe not quite so crazy. Yeah. And then what happened around them made them worse. And now they're starting to calm down a little bit. Oh. Agreed. Yeah. But my original comment when I brought them up was I just thought they looked a little too clean. I thought they should have been dirtier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> They're out there living in the sand, man. They yeah. Can't, yeah, there's not, they must have really, really good uh, dry cleaning yeah. places over I'd there. I love, yeah. too, that um, it was sign language and motions that communicated with them. I love that they didn't try and give them a verbal language. Oh, they did, I think that would have been weird. speaking galactic basic. Yeah. yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> yeah. Justin, what do you think? What do you think of the Tuscan Raiders and their portrayal? I thought this was really interesting because this feels like it brings up uh, a comparable discussion to any indigenous people. Mm. Um, and so if you look at them as the other, you know, as the thing to be feared, then you can uh, rationalize all of their actions as they are just savages. They are mm. just, you know... Um, out to get you, they're the boogeyman. Right. Um, but then if you tell the story of, no, this was their place, and then we came into it, and we don't know their rules and their customs, or you know, to your point, with, uh, what happened with Anakin Skywalker, or mm -hmm. what happened to them uh, previously, um, and they're just acting in self-defense. You know, like It's just yeah. interesting to bring up different points of view. Yeah. And at the very least, uh, it felt uh, very apt for our time and our culture mm. to bring up that kind of a conversation. Yeah, I'm really glad you included this question in our discussion today because this is something that has been bothering me since Attack of the Clones. Like, mm. it always struck me when Anakin, you know, goes back to Padme and tells her that he slaughtered the whole village. He's just like, kind of just like accepts it and is just like comforting him. And it's like, why, why is she not making a bigger deal about this? Because... They are a people group, and um, like others have said, they have families, and they live in this um, tribe together. And I have appreci I appreciate that the Mandalorian kind of continued the theme of showing that they are people and that um, they shouldn't be treated just as animals. Like, they deserve to have more respect and have their um, livelihood recognized. So mm -hmm. I like that some of the new Star Wars is able to add some nuance to some of the things we've seen before. And you, maybe future stories will look a little bit into more of the violence between the Tusken Raiders and the other people living on Tatooine and kind of how that developed and what other issues are underlying there. But yeah, I really enjoyed that they kind of reflected back on some things and mm. Drew attention to some of the issues that maybe past Star Wars had brought up, but not dealt with. I mean, all of you guys hit it right on the nail. I mean, I I think it's a matter of perspective. I don't think they're complete savages. It's just part of their tribe and how they are. Um, again, like the indigenous people. I mean, they got to do what they got to do to survive, and that's how they've been, and that's how I've seen them. Um, it, it was it's kind of nice seeing them more humanized in this episode. Um, I guess, you know, not everyone is bad. So, I mean, you have your few bad seedlings and these were just two that were just trying to protect their land. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I like the discussion because I, I think that the discussion is an interesting one, especially coming after episode four, where we saw like the, basically the group of uh, orcs and for lack of a better term, like they were just <laughs> all bad and they had their, they had their, uh, ATST and they were just dis they were just preying upon other people and so we're gonna take a slightly different look at a, at a group of people that we have only seen in a bad light 
because I think right. that uh, I think George was essentially turning them into pretty villainous people at all times. George was like we saw them in three instances, one of which I didn't think of until we started having this discussion, and that's that the first time chronologically we see them, they're literally shooting sniper rifles at pod yeah. racers. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <That's yeah. true. laughs> and, like... And celebrating. And that, celebrating. That, that's a pretty yeah. vicious thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're sports fans. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah specifically Raiders fans, right, Alvy? That- <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, shots fired, literally. Um, so, you know what I wish, though? I wish when they showed up yeah. on this episode that we would have seen one of them uh-huh. and then he steps aside and there's another one behind him and he steps aside and there's another one behind him to cover their tracks to cover yeah <laughs> single file oh, to hide well. their numbers i'm like oh well man done. we've never really seen that well yeah. done i'm not well even done. joking like yeah. i think that would have been cool yeah yeah, yeah yeah that would have been cool missed opportunity um, by the way i'm calling albie out as a raiders fan you are a raiders fan right albie I'm no right. i'm not oh no. never mind never no. mind but that uh, was a good one, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I got that wrong, but Albie's not a Raiders no, fan. So I'm a Patriots fan. Him. Oh, well, same thing. I <laughs> just kidding. Oh. Um, so everyone else in the podcast, like, we don't care about football. Yeah, so. I'm like, yeah, I suppose we can have a whole man. discussion on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that um, George Lucas pretty much only portrayed them because even though he shows that they have kids, like, they literally kidnap the lead character's mom and are torturing her to death. Um, so he's not, I don't think he's trying to, I think he's trying to make Anakin feel worse for killing the, the child, the women and children, but I don't think he's trying to make the Tusken Raiders seem better. (laughs) You really, that makes any sense. Um, and so I think that this is a slightly different take on the Tusken Raiders of their lands are being invaded. I also think it goes pretty much right into alignment with the Western themes that they're trying to put across in the in this show where they're trying to say like, Hey, we are, the Mandalorian is a cowboy, right? He is Basically. a gunslinger. The, the, the title of this show was the gunslinger. Um, and they're now he's interacting with this other indigenous people group, like you talked mm-hmm. about, and they're not all of what was said before They're They're more than that. So I, I like that inclusion. I think that that's a good discussion. Um, and I also think that they're still aggressive. They're still trying to protect their lands. But like you said, Daryl, they are transforming a little bit, too, because of what has happened and transpired around them. They've kind of transformed themselves. They're less defensive in a way. Maybe they're just pissed off all the time because they hate sand as much as Anakin does. <laughs> right, exactly. That's probably why he hates sand so much is because, yeah. Because of the, all of those reasons. No, he hates it because it's coarse and it gets everywhere. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, so the next area we're going to move to is to this new character of Fennec Shand. Um, and we didn't really get to see much of Fennec Shand. So Albie, do you think that she's dead or is she going to show up in another show in the future? I definitely don't think she's dead. I think she was accidentally stunned and he didn't know. Mm. And obviously she's wearing armor, so I don't think she's dead. Mm. And do you want to see more of, of Fennec Shand? Oh heck yeah! She was um, she was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she yeah she was great, and I hope she uh, teams up with the Mando later. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Daryl, what do you think? Is she dead? No, no, she's not. No, dead. No, she's not dead. And in fact, here's my theory. Oh. Not only mm. is she not dead. Uh huh. But okay, so Toro Calican, he was the 
the yeah. bounty hunter who was trying to get into the guild, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously not that important character. They killed him off. He was just a foil for the Mandalorian. I mean, he had to die because, like Alvy said, he sat in Han Solo's chair. He did. I mean, yeah. he's great. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think everything that the Mandalorian said about Fennec uh-huh. was a lie because he was lying to Toro. I don't think he wanted to keep her from going to keep this guy from going after her because she's this dangerous assassin and he would get killed doing it. I think he did it because he has a history with her Mm. and he didn't want this guy to kill her. Mm. And I think she may have seen the Mandalorian without his helmet on. Really? I think Hmm. this goes back to the idea of is the Mandalorian actually a Mandalorian? Uh, He may not be. hmm. And I think this. I think he has some sort of history with her that predates him wearing the helmet because mm. that explains why he didn't try to shoot back at her. He didn't try to kill her. All he tried to do was blind her so she couldn't shoot him. Yeah. Mm. Yet she kept shooting at him because right. right. it's a Mandalorian. Why would she know any different? Right. So I think she knows who he is aside from being when he's masked a Mandalorian. Off, yes. Basically. Interesting. Oh, I like that. You oh. heard it here first. First, Daryl, I love that theory. I think that is super cool. And um, I would personally be shocked if she was actually dead, but I don't know that we will see her again in season one. The only reason I say that is this is episode two or three. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to see her again. But I think we only have, what is it, three episodes left? And we've got a lot to cover then with the child and everybody looking for the Mandalorian. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was a character that is going to show up in season two and create more um, challenges and mm. for the Mandalorian. But mm. I think that there's just so much that they still have to get to. And especially since I really want to see Cara Dune again as well. And some of these other characters, um, I would not be surprised at all if they saved Finnick for season two and mm. gave her an increased role in that because she's too cool not to explore that character more. So do right. you think that that wasn't him that stepped up to her at the end of the episode? It wasn't whom? Do you think that wasn't the Mandalorian? You think that was somebody else? I actually have no idea who that is. We had, that's the last question. On, oh, sorry. Oh, so <laughs> I'm really Darryl's excited to, to find out. Too early. Daryl's trying to segue I'm sorry. too early. Normally I read the questions beforehand and today I didn't have time. So, so spoilers. Yeah. That's my lack of preparation derailing the show. Justin, what do you think? Is she dead? I hope not, but also hope so. Let me explain. <laughs> uh, uh, she is a super cool character mm. and the actress just won uh the disney um legend award and so like she super did? cool gal did? yeah um really uh wait what did she get the sorry not just for agents of shield what, yeah right? not just yeah that's what I'm wondering. Par- partially for agents of shield okay. i believe she was the voice of mulan i was thinking that okay. um oh. and, and she's done just a number of things for the company yeah, over, well deserved. over her cool. career so she just got that um at the last d23 but um the reason I hope she is dead is because there have to be consequences in this show. We've already seen Carl Weathers' uh, character, Grief Karga, get shot, but he's fine. And so <laughs> I, I don't want True. that to be a trend in this. Um, so as much as I'd love to see more of her, I also want things to matter in this show. Yeah. So it sure looks like she's dead, and I don't want us to get into a, a trend of like, oh, people can get shot and they might die or not, you know? So mm-hmm. That's fair, but there's yeah. reasons for it, right? Like, it seems like the Mandalorian shot Gr- Grief Cargo in the Beskar on purpose, 
That's yeah. a, that's how I, I felt. I would not say that at you all. You don't think oh, so? Oh, really? No. I feel uh. like he shot him there on purpose. And then yeah. I also feel like like Fennec is just she seems like too smart of a warrior to to not be armored and not be ready for someone to take a pop at her close right. at close range like that. So And she also didn't die in a way where they lingered on it. Like, you know that we've had some we've had some it was when you see the stormtroopers die especially uh in what was it episode 2 or 3 um, they roll around forever. Well, you see, like the the bullets <laughs> through their helmets, yeah, or, or the the blasters through their helmets. Like this, this seemed very um, inconclusive, right? They're they're definitely yeah. leaving it open to do be able to do more. She went down well, real quick, and yeah, it was a really still, quick shot. So yeah, it could have been kind of playing dead. But yeah. then we come back to her a day later, right? I mean, like the next night That's or true. whatever, she's still and there. she's in the mm-hmm. same position. That's this a good doesn't point. look good for her health. This is a good point, yeah. I think uh, I was talking to one of our um, club members yesterday on our Top 10 Star Wars. We were recording our Top 10 Star Wars um, characters podcast, and Nick Prokop said that um, he's like, all you got to do is put her in a back-to-tank, and she's probably good to go. <laughs> so you never know. But I do think, Justin, that you're really on to something. And did you finish your thoughts? Yes. Okay. The, uh, you're really on to something with the there need to be consequences thing. I it's super irritating to me when a show is unwilling to kill off its characters because it's not there's no consequences right it's just like right. oh this is this is not as interesting if you kill a bunch of faceless stormtroopers that we don't care about then what's the what's the point you got to kill some of the characters that we really care care about as well and thus far I think he's been pretty much uh, you know a hundred percent on saving the people he wants to save right like yeah so yeah it's an interesting one except for his parents. Oh, oh yeah, he had to have the. Disney. As far as we know, maybe there's a secret condo on Coruscant or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it, it's yeah. a big city. Yeah. Luxury, luxury, uh, luxury place for the Mando's parents. Um, yeah, I, I think that she is not dead, but only because of the, now the show. I will say this: the show is doing something kind of interesting with its characters, and and this is going beyond what the story is giving me to what the marketing is giving me. And it's marketing people, it's putting people on posters that I'm like, well, mm. they've got to be a part of this because you're putting them on posters. Like, yeah. you very rarely put a character on a poster if they're in the show for not more than literally five minutes of screen time. I'd be surprised if she's on the screen for five minutes. Like, it's a very limited amount of time she's on the screen. Well, it depends on who's doing it. If Disney's making the poster, yeah. then you're right. Yeah. There's a weird tension there. Yeah. If it's a Fast and Furious movie... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> they just want more images. Yeah, that's true. yeah. I'm trying to think if Boba Fett ever appears on a po- on a Star Wars poster because he might. He might be on. A Star yeah, Wars poster. I think he Return has been, Jedi, but just maybe? in the back. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. I kind of uh, I'm I'm kind of with Justin that I hope that they will, you know, if not her, somebody else that's important to him in some way, shape, or form, or important to the story, actually stays dead. I guess you could ar- argue that. Toro's dead, and that's is that his name Toro. Toro Calican. Yeah, Toro, Toro Calican. Yeah. But I mean, ev- everyone wants him to die. Like, there's got to be people yeah. that you don't want to die. Yeah. Who died? He was you a know? villain, quote unquote. I mean, yeah. he, he turned bad. Yeah. And, and that was a pivotal moment in his arc, from him to just go from like an annoying underling to yeah. a villain. Yeah. Right. And so that would also cheapen him dying. So I, I think I think she needs to be dead. I think also one of the cool things about Toro dying that. The most villainous person is the person who rebels against the 
unlawful code that has been gre- agreed upon by people, right? Like, if mm. so, for example, like you would say that heroes tend to be the people that abide by the lawful code, and I was trying to help other people. But then there's like a subset of characters, like the Mandalorian, who you're like, well, they're kind of anti-heroes. They're not abiding by the law per se. They're they are doing selfless things, but they're also a little bit selfish just in their general personality. And then you get to a place where like, okay, but now you're breaking the unlawful code. You just you got to die. Like, there's no other way around it. Like, mm. you're an idiot, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that, I think it makes sense for him to make that turn and then die. And I am reading the Bounty Hunter Code. <laughs> and so... Uh, reading and living your life according to. Yes. And so... Uh, <laughs> I, Toro broke the fifth tenant oh. of the Bounty Hunter Code, which is in the hunt, one captures or kills, never both. So uh. if you capture someone live, you, you bring them in live. And yeah. so oh, he, really? he is even breaking the bounty hunter code in this. That's Dude, I want to read that book. Gun. Yeah, I'm gonna go I know. find it. We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to pass that around and all read a different c- code <laughs> thing all throughout the podcast. Um, Some, go ahead, something go I want to kind of piggyback off that of the having consequences. I'm I'm follow me here. Um, I feel like the child should meet its end. Oh no! I, oh, I am not the monster. I'm not the monster. Oh, I uh, trust. I love me some Baby Yoda. I have a whole bunch of Baby Yodas everywhere, but it's just I feel like we've only seen the Mando just kind of tame. I mean, we've seen some pretty cool stuff that he's done, but we haven't really seen his potential. And I feel by having the child being killed or taken will unleash his like true bounty hunter badassness uh, i'll give him a reason to like just mm-hmm. just go berserk basically go yeah. full jack bauer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah 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 or you could have both you could have him think the child was killed so he cuts loose but then the child actually saves itself with its force abilities or something mm-hmm. i mean i think you could right. i think you could go down a path where i've already talked about my fan theory where they're trying to extract midichlorians from baby yoda to either recreate bring back the emperor or p- potentially create ray although i don't think that's where they're gonna go with ray but um you could have a scene where they do actually extract the midichlorians from baby Yoda and it is appears that he's dead and then the Mandalorian goes crazy but baby Yoda's actually not dead he just mm. has the force removed from him yeah. I just don't mm. want that word said in midichlorians stuff. I want <laughs> I want midichlorians uh. to live in the realm with crystal skulls and uh, Beverly Hills yeah. Cop 3 and things like that I'm right there with you well, well say, say it a different way then I think um, I think that, that Star Wars is going to double down on some of those things but say it a different way like removing removing the force right if there's a way to remove the yeah, force yeah. from somebody it's the same thing Mm. um in this case all right so let's let's talk about uh let's talk about these characters some more because we've seen fennec shand now we've seen grief karga cara dune um i'm sure there's some others that i'm forgetting but we're not seeing them appear all that much if you were to see the poster like i mentioned earlier yeah you would assume that all of these characters were like on a team or like working together it'd almost be like hey is this firefly but in the star wars universe right um but (laughs) <laughs> they're not really together. He's just running around the galaxy by himself. So what is your take on that, Albie? 
it's it's a little sad not seeing all these characters more often but i think it's character development so once we see them again we're going to root for them even more mm. especially with cara dune because she was amazing um grief karga i mean that was kind of interesting just having them you know flip being the actual bad guy but i think these were just character posters not the actual poster poster per se because mm. um, i mean we do have character posters in basically any movie um but again these are you know big actors so of course they need their own posters to boost their egos yeah justin what do you think uh real just quick justin going... before you respond yeah i think it sounds like jay is saying that the mandalorian is better than anything joss whedon has ever done Ooh. So go ahead, respond. No, he's comparing it to the incredible work of Joss Whedon, <laughs> and I'm fine with this comparison. Uh, just going well, back Darryl's to the... putting words in my mouth, but I, I probably agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just going back to the idea of the posters, these posters were misleading from the get-go. Um, we've already talked about how the child, you know, was a twist. No one knew about oh, the child. True. And so um, I think that it's hard to know where to put the posters mm. other than getting people aware of the show and it, they did a great it job. Just, it was just pure marketing, no storytelling. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so I wrote a fair amount of Firefly on this question. Oh, did you really? Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, one, wow. of, one of my uh, favorite episodes in that show, not that there were many, wah, wah, <laughs> yeah. was an episode called Out of Gas where um, oh, yeah. the main character has flashbacks of his entire crew coming together um, oh. with the exception of a couple that get added in uh, the pilot episode. Um, and so my hope is that part of the Mandalorian story arc, and if they're already filming season two, you know, we've got time. They can do a long game on this one. But part of the story arc for the Mandalorian is him going from the rogue solo mm. bounty hunter to having a family. Mm -hmm. um, I think some of that family will end up being uh, some people in uh, the Mandalorian tribe uh, clan, but then also some of the people that we've met, including the child. Yeah. Um, and so I am hoping, uh, like Albie's saying, that we will be seeing these characters again, and it'll mean more uh, because we've already been introduced to them. Um, so... Yeah, my hope is that it's <laughs> heading toward more of all of them and a crew, but it's doing the long game so that it matters more when they're united. Mm. Yeah, I would say my frustrations probably come more from the marketing than the storytelling itself, which I really love the storytelling and the idea of this Mandalorian as a lone gunslinger who doesn't really make a lot of connections or want to have a lot of people um, have himself tied down to a lot of relationships. But yeah, just from the marketing, I was thinking, oh, Cara Dune, like once he meets up with her, like she's going to be throughout the whole season and we've only seen her one episode so far and it's possible we might not even see her again to until the finale. So I kind of wish they would have maybe led with a little more of the Mandalorian being a loner and that some of these characters might be a little bit more like cameos because I think it kind of got built up the idea, oh, we're going to be with them for the whole season when really it's more about the Mandalorian. He's going to be traveling to different places. He'll meet these interesting characters, but they're not going to necessarily be a part of the whole show. But mm. again, it could come where all these people will come together in the finale or in season two. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do going forward. First of all, I want to say I think we would all agree that Joss Whedon learned what a good ensemble cast of characters looks like from the Star Wars movies. Oh, true. Mm. I think he would but say he, that too. But he also but. mastered, of all the things, I, I'm not the biggest Joss Whedon fan, but the thing he has mastered is ensembles. Yeah. Like he's, it's like his bread and butter. He's amazing at ensembles. Totally. Yeah. 
Um, I you know as far as the characters in the show, I'm I'm actually good with it. I yeah. first of all, I don't never say never. It's it's never too late. I mean, yeah. we got three episodes left. I feel like they could right. do a lot in those three episodes. Yep. Who knows? The last one might be two hours long. Like, there's no consistent runtime to Dude, any of these. Awesome. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm actually okay with not having seen too much of them yet, knowing that the show is very successful and that we're going to get more of it. Um, but I think the biggest reason that I'm okay with it is all five of these episodes so far have surprised me mm. in the way they approach mm-hmm. storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that. Mm. I love being surprised by something and in such a good way. So I think uh, I'm just going to, I'm trusting them because I think I'm totally bought into what they've done so far and I'm excited to see where they're taking it. So Interesting. Yeah. But I do want to see more of them. I think I'm okay on Grief Cargo, but <laughs> the rest of them I do want to see more. <laughs> How could you? How could you say that about Apollo Creed? Yeah, but uh, again, just to piggyback again, I mean, I think it's kind of smart because we're getting the whole backstory of the, well, not the backstory, but just the whole story and characterization of the Mando being just, again, like what you said, like loner. So, and then at the very end, having them all come together, kind of like, you know, Power Rangers beat the Empire, but. I am going to side with Daryl on this one. I, it's a classic trope of Westerns to have the lone gunslinger roaming around from town to town, like solving some different issues and things like that. And I think that if you take away the loner's loneliness, you sometimes get a worse character for it, right? Um, it's, it's not as interesting. Of course, we want him to find community, but we want, I think a lot of us would want that to be the end of his arc, Right, like the final season, the whole band is together and they're going out to defeat whatever it is that they need to defeat. I think along the way, though, the whole lack of intimacy that he has and how trying to learn intimacy and trying to learn how to do the right thing and not be part of the system is sort of why we love those characters. And so I'm going to actually side a little bit more with Daryl. I like him being by himself. I think it also sets up a really good dynamic. You know, we have the character, um, I don't remember what. Um, Amy Sedaris's, is that her name? Amy Sedaris? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Helimoto. Helimoto, is that her name? Okay. I don't remember. Uh, I, don't remember uh, I like having her basically be like, you don't even know how to take care of a kid, dude. Like, yeah. what, what's wrong with you? you can't just leave him in the car. You can't just leave him in the car. Exactly. Um, do you know where you are? You're most icely, dude. Uh, and I, I, I like that, that you put those two together. You put a baby character with the loner guy and that's a really interesting take um, and i think the more people you add to that scenario the more difficult it is to keep that character as compelling so now don't get me wrong i would take a cara dune disney plus series you know just like give me that and i'm happy so i i want to see more of the characters but i don't necessarily see need to see them in this particular show so going back to that um Pelimoto's line, I feel like, sets up the contrast. We have seen Mando, and uh, I read an article that his name was revealed. Did anyone else read that? No. No. Uh, the actor said his name is Din Jaren. So I'm, Din Jaren, yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's real or not, but it that, was that revealed was just, in the show, or that's no, just something. It, it just an, no, it, it was just an, an interview. In an interview, uh, yeah, he just casually says his name. <laughs> yeah. He, he so I'm, I'm curious if that matters or not, but anyways, <laughs> um, that. 
he is such an incredibly creative and proficient fighter, right? We're seeing him take down an ATST. We're seeing him in a dogfight in space, you know, being creative and coming out successful, um, using the flares for sniper rifles and things like that. But then he's so incompetent when it comes to caring for a child. Mm. I think that's a really, like you were saying, compelling character trait. Right, right. He knows he needs to do it, and he's obligated to do it, and he knows he's doing the right thing, but he has no clue what he's doing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Okay, so I have uh, I have one more question that I actually gave you guys in advance, and then I thought of another question that I want to run by you after that. So surprise <laughs> question number eight. But first, before we go there, um, this is the question that Daryl was leading up to <laughs> earlier. Spoiled. <laughs> spoiled. Yeah, spoiled. This is the question that Daryl was spoiling. Um, Albie, uh, I'll start with you on this one. Who do you yeah. think is standing over Fennec Shand at the end of episode five? And what does that foreshadow for the rest of this season? Oh, um, well, I definitely think it's the Mandalorian. Because um, when you see him walking up, you see a cape. Mm. And then um, I, <laughs> I kind of bumped up the brightness and contrast and you can clearly see the thigh armor that is very uh prominent on the mandalorian so i definitely think it's the mando oh okay so we've got one vote for the mandalorian yeah um as for shadowing um i guess it's just uh more character development from the mandalorian being actually a human and caring for others and especially uh like what ashley said that she knows him there's some backstory so again adding her to his team later on so daryl i know that you said earlier that you thought that there was a connection between them so do you also think that that was the mandalorian yeah i think he was coming back for her okay and why what why is that happening what's that foreshadowing maybe um maybe he's afraid she'll expose him maybe Hmm. maybe they actually have some sort of a good relationship and he wants to make sure she's okay yeah uh it could be lots of things but to me, it sort of definitely implies a, a pre-existing connection. Mm. Okay, okay. Justin? I want it to be Boba Fett. That's just, that's just, that's just what it is. I just Whoa. want it to be Boba Fett. It could I be. You could have climbed out finally. I don't think it is, but that's what I want. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I was doing some reading on this, and there's a character in the Aftermath books called uh, Cobb Banth, hmm. and he apparently purchased Boba Fett's armor, um, and there's like a reference to like, it looks like it was eaten through by some kind of acid and all this <laughs> stuff. And he's like a sheriff. Mm. And so they could just be doing a tie in with another character mm. um, that's in the universe. But what I feel like is most likely is that it's uh, the character we've seen in the commercial, uh, Moff Gideon, but we haven't met yet. Uh, mm. Just that it, oh, it's, yeah. it's some villain or bounty hunter that also has that tracking fob on the child and is just kind of on the heels of the Mandalorian. So as I look through, yeah, the trailer and stuff, it seems like, oh, that's a character that looks like he's wearing a cape that we haven't met yet. So I feel like that's the most likely character. Mm. So two votes Mandalorian, one vote Moff Gideon, which is an amazing name. Right? They got some great right. names in the show. It's <laughs> really good. Ashley, amazing you... actor, by the way. Oh, Giancarlo Esposito. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the best. Whether a bomb has gone off in his face or not, he's just <laughs> an incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Gus Fring takes a bomb to the face <laughs> and uh, straightens his tie. <laughs> clearly, some shows that I haven't watched. Yeah, some shows that Daryl has not seen. Is that a Breaking Bad thing? That yeah. is. Okay. Yeah, yes. It is. 
Ashley, what do you think? Who who is this? Who's standing over who's standing over uh, Fennec here? I really like the idea of it being the Mandalorian because there's all that question surrounding like why would he mm. go back for her? Why is he interested in her fate and what's happened to her. Um, I also like the idea of it being some kind of Imperial person that is hunting her. Maybe if it's connected back to the client again, I do not think we have seen the last of Warner Herzog's character, any kind of tie like that would be interesting. And my other final theory is that maybe it's Cara Dune. This theory has no basis in reality. I just want to see Cara Dune again. So (laughs) that's, that's my thoughts. I like that. I like that. I am uh, I am Team Justin here because I think it's it's uh, Moff Gideon as well. Now I, now granted, uh, Albie did the research. Albie <laughs> Albie wins frame by frame <laughs> and increased the brightness and everything, so he's probably correct. But I, it, it occurs to me that um, there needs to be at some point. We've already talked about this a little bit about the consequences, right? Right now, I think mm. that we're really worried about baby Yoda being killed by somebody sort of randomly when the Mandalorian's not paying attention. But is anybody worried about the Mandalorian dying right now? Like, no. There's nobody that's had a chance to stand up to the Mandalorian. I mean, Hmm. there's not even another character who's as equally terrifying as he is. I think that not only does Giancarlo Esposito, uh, who plays Moff Gideon, have the gravitas for that, but I think we need him to show up. So we go, oh, there's the guy we're scared of. Like, there's the guy who could take out the Mandalorian. And it would make sense if that guy is collecting his former team of badass fighters, for lack of a better word, to go up against the Mandalorian and say, we're going to take this guy out. Mm-hmm. It would also make sense then for the Mandalorian to say, well, I better team up with some of my old friends as well, maybe even reluctantly, to go and get his team set up so they can kind of you know face off against one another. Um I will, I will throw this out there really quick, too. Um, there is an interview, and I wish I could remember. It's on YouTube. I saw it on YouTube. But it's a, a, an interview with the cast of The Mandalorian. And it's so funny because Pedro Pascal is a fantastic actor. My wife and I were talking about this as we watched the show because he's pretty goofy in real life. Yep. But oh, he yeah. plays <laughs> a super badass Mandalorian. And then in, if you've seen Game of Thrones, he plays a really like uh, arrogant, like, uh, almost like a Rico Suave type of a character, right? So mm-hmm. he, he's got a range to him. He can do a lot of different things, but he, he, he himself is pretty goofy. So you got him, you've got uh, Carl Weathers, who is uh, fairly fun-loving as well. Um, you had Taika Waititi in there, sitting in there, right? You know what I keep thinking every time I see Carl Weathers? What's that? Um, I'm going to have to cuss. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, I'll bleep, I'll bleep you out. Um, I can't get my head off of Happy Gilmore uh-huh. when I see Carl Weathers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And every time I see him sitting down to talk to the Mandalorian, I'm expecting him to say, you're going to give that shit up and concentrate on golf. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that would be hilarious if they included that. Anyways, you got you also had uh, you also had uh, uh, Gina Carano, um, which by the way I was pronouncing her name wrong last episode. It's not Carino, it's Carano. Um, yeah. Who, by the way, I thought should have played Wonder Woman before they gave it to. Oh yeah, Gal Gadot. same. I actually felt the same way. Oh. Although Gal Gadot's like perfect. Yeah, she's great. Uh, but they all they're all sitting there, and then uh, they're all sort of like answering the questions in the goofiest way possible, and that kind of like Carl Weathers is like trying to tease Taika Waititi in like this really uncomfortable way. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and then Giancarlo opens his mouth to talk, and you're like, I could listen to this guy all day long. This is one of the most articulate people on the face of the earth. He's like describing what it's like to be part of the Star Wars universe. They're all struggling, like, yeah, Star Wars is really great. He's like, 
Star Wars has been in our history for so long, and it is such a pleasure to be a part of this. You know, it's like it's like amazing. It's like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can't wait for him to show up because uh, he's probably one of my favorite actors uh, that I've seen in in different shows and things like that. And I just think he's he's amazing. So I just obviously he's been on a lot of big things. Yeah. that I just haven't seen. Right. Like to me, he's Gilbert from Community. He's Pierce <laughs> Hawthorne's weird half brother. Yeah, so. and I haven't seen Community, so I I don't know him from that. But he's uh, the things that I have seen him in. He's just super compelling. You just can't take your eyes off of him, and he's um, he's scary because he can play. He can use his facial expressions to change the mm-hmm. entire mood of a scene, um, and. That's pretty awesome when you compare that the guy he's going to be going against has a helmet and you can't see his facial expressions. Mm. Um, so great casting there. So, anyways, that's what we'll we have uh, two votes for Gideon, Moff Gideon, three votes for the Mandalorian. Uh, although Ashley gave like two or three votes, so <laughs> you know, we're all across the map there. She's hedging her bets. That's right. That's yes, right. yes. The last question I have for you guys, and then we're going to um, close out this episode by talking to Albie a little bit about his experience filming um, with the Mandalorian crew. But before we do that, I, I want to ask you guys, I saw very briefly, because I did not go deep into it, and so maybe you guys did, and you guys know more information about this than I do, but it, I saw a report where it looked like John Favreau was saying that he would like to fill in the gaps. I'm using, uh, air, I'm using air quotes here. Um, fill in the gaps of Star Wars with episodes of The Mandalorian. And I wondered how you guys felt about that. What do you want to see as The Mandalorian continues? Do you want to see Star Wars story gaps, kind of like a Rogue One type of story gap, right? Uh, do you want to see them filled out? Justin, what do you think? Do you, is that something that you want to see this show do? Ultimately, yes. Um, since it's all a unified space Mm. since it's all one large story i think any information is going to tie into everything else so um i think that a a new comic book either just came out or is about to come out that follows luke skywalker's uh lightsaber from being cut uh off his hand Mm. uh to where it's in maz's cantina and so i want to read that but i don't want the um the mandalorian to become that overt to mm. where they would, you know, like, mm. hey, let's follow Luke's lightsaber for an episode. <laughs> right. um, so if they're filling in bits and pieces, I love it because that would happen because we're in a gap mm. right now in The Mandalorian um, and it's a shared universe. So I think that's a good thing as long as it doesn't become overt and campy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Ashley, what do you think? Do you want to see The Mandalorian just run around filling in plot holes? Or I shouldn't say yeah, plot holes, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind some gap filling. I mean, I love the movie Rogue One. I think it's excellent, and I think it adds a lot to the canon as a whole. I've enjoyed reading um, some of the supplementary novels that just add more to the characters and kind of flesh things out. But kind of like Justin said, I don't want it to become just about filling in the gaps. And I think it's okay to leave some things that you don't know. Like, it's it's all right to have some mystery and have people speculate, mm. well, maybe what happened in this gap and kind of let people's imaginations fill that in for themselves because I think Star Wars is all kind of about, you know, showing this mysterious galaxy. Like, I don't want or need to understand everything about the Force. So I don't mind um, if it ties into the larger story and maybe answer some unanswered questions, but I don't want it to become just about answering those questions. I completely agree with all of you guys. Um, So yes and no. I mean, 
that's what they've been kind of doing for the past few years with the, you know, the novels and the comics and kind of filling those gaps or, you know, kind of telling more of the story that we haven't seen so far. But, um, I mean, we have, what what is it, 25 years between this show and uh, The Force Awakens. So, I mean, we have a huge gap mm. of what they can do, especially with this Mandalorian character, if he lives that far. Um, but not necessarily like filling gaps. I mean, like you can allude to certain things and mention things, show maybe one, one things here and there, but not completely, you know, do all that. Cause again, it's going to end up leading to like fan service. And I, I don't want that. I like it. If the gaps can be filled in while telling a compelling story that works in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the very dif- definition of what rogue one was. Yeah. Like it tells the story of how the death star plans got to the rebellion but it also tells the story of these really awesome sacrificial heroes who mm-hmm. went on a great journey and paid a huge price, you know? Yeah. So if they can keep doing that, I'm great with it. I like that approach. I like the approach of filling in gaps through telling new stories mm-hmm. with other characters. Mm-hmm. What I definitely don't want to see is have them like recast a young Luke Skywalker and give us some story about what happened in between Jedi and Force Awakens, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see that. Yeah. So I would rather those gaps be filled this way. But it, you have to be strategic about what gap, which gaps you're going to choose. Like, And it can't just be a trope. Like, like I'm sure Jon Favreau is not saying that that's why the Mandalorian exists, so I can fill in these gaps. But right, right, right. I mm-hmm. think he's like, oh, we have a cool opportunity here, so we'd like to use it for that. Yeah. yeah. One gap that they should fill in is Boba Fett. Mm. Where you is know, he? I want him there. Af- after Attack of the Clones, <laughs> I don't need more Boba Fett. After seeing that yeah. little kid going, "Get him, Dad!" Like I'm good. I'm just like that. Just I that agree. murdered Boba Fett for me. Baby Boba, <laughs> baby Boba's no good. We, I hope everyone can agree. Baby Yoda, awesome. Baby Boba, no good. Mm. All of the interest that I had in Boba Fett was visual. So this show yeah. fulfills all of that and more. Like mm. it doesn't need to be him. It's just the fact that it's a Mandalorian at all mm. is great for me. Yeah, I I, uh, I would go a little bit even farther than you guys have gone and say that I don't really want them to keep filling in the gaps. I got really worried when I when they said we're pulling into Tatooine. I was like, no, don't have them meet up with Han Solo or something. Like, mm. I don't want to see that. Like, I already have in my head, you know, part of the reason why some of the characters who you love. If they continue to portray them on screen, it's very difficult to walk them through arcs that are good, valuable arcs to go through, compelling arcs, compelling character arcs. And as they walk them through non-compelling character arcs, you start to dislike the characters more. There's something in the human condition that goes, I need a little bit more mystery. I don't need to know everything because when I know everything, I get disappointed, (laughs) right? Like, leave me wanting more. Don't fill in everything. Now, having said that, Rogue One is my second favorite Star Wars film, so <laughs> yeah. uh, you know I don't know I, I I'm 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 basically where you guys are at, which is to say I don't want them to fill in gaps if it's going to be just for the purpose of filling in the gaps, but if they can give us some hints here and there, I thought I thought Solo filled in way too many gaps, and it was like, well, you could have given us four movies with all the gaps that mm-hmm. you just just filled. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. Um, so that's that's the show. Fantastic fifth episode. I continue to love this show. One of my favorite television shows of all time. Um, and now we're going to talk to one of the stars of the show because we're going to interview Albie. So how did you? How did this even come about, Albie? Like how how did uh, how did Lucasfilm approach you guys? And how long ago was that? 
Um, so first, it started off, I'm going to say it was around October of last year. We got an email from Lucasfilm saying, hey, if you have these specific costumes, we need you in L.A., these time frames, that's it. Nothing else. I mean, standard Lucasfilm, they don't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. And then you responded to the, you know, the link they gave us and everything. And then uh, so we filmed last November. Oh, okay, so this has been so a long it, time. Yeah, we filmed about a year ago, so it was a long time that I had to keep the secret. Yeah. <laughs> you, how long have you been a member of the 501st? Uh, I've been a 501st member for about almost four years now. Okay, and yeah. which which suit of which suit of armor were you were they asking for? Like that you had that you could fill that role. Right. So. Um, so they asked a lot of the 501st members with uh, Stormtrooper costumes. Um, so for me, I I didn't go filming as a 501st member. I went and filmed as uh, Lucasfilm has this other program, very similar to the 501st, but to like the higher level. So this mm. is called the Outer Rim. Oh, wow. The Outer Rim program. Yeah. So that's how I went. I got paid for it. The 501st didn't. Um, so for me, I was a biker scout in the show. I wasn't a stormtrooper. Dude, that is awesome. That is super cool. And how long did it take you to build that biker troop costume? Uh, biker scout, honestly, it was about, uh, about a few weeks or so. I mean, the hardest part for me was the sewing, which I just look at a sewing machine and I break it. So... <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many needles I've broken on that machine, but I think that was the hardest part. But everything else, I can build armor like no other and quickly. Oh, nice! Um, if it's if it's hard armor, um, but sewing, don't even <laughs> don't even ask. Now, one of the things <laughs> I'll say that you do that I think is really amazing is you will take and uh, weather a suit of armor or weather mm -hmm. a toy. Um, t talk to me about that process because that adds a level of realism to the costume yeah. that a lot of yeah. costumes don't have. So how do you do that? So for me, like I hate something super clean. So, and it's sad that like my biker scout is really clean. Mm. Um, thank God I did because I wouldn't have been on the show. <laughs> um, but fun fact is the stormtroopers that you've seen on the show, they weren't really that dirty in real life. That was all CG to make them look dirty. No way. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Um, little side note yeah. um but for me like everyone comes to me like because i'm an artist so I, I paint and i do all that stuff so all my friends come to me to weather their armor um it's just like what i tell everyone is like what's your story what's your character's story like what has he or she been in you know like what battles or stuff like that and then just weather upon that story like oh this person was shot right in the head and it just barely missed their helmet so we're just gonna leave a little scorch mark right there mm. um and it's just you know, knowing paint, knowing what paints you can use, what other media you can use to weather stuff um, and just kind of create a cool character. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, what can you tell us about what you did, what they had you do? Can you tell us anything <laughs> about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes and no. I can say some stuff. Okay. Um, so, again, once we got the email, it was exciting. Again, I couldn't tell anyone, not even my favorite first people that didn't know. Um so that was really hard. So once we, so for me, it was just a mess because I was at Disneyland when I got the email. Oh, no way. <laughs> and they're, yeah, exactly. And they're like, well, we need this, th this, this, and this. Um, if you can, we need you like next week. 
and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm at Disneyland. So I had to like leave my vacation, <laughs> which I hardly ever get, yeah. and then go back home in Sacramento, which is about uh, six, six and a half hours, and uh, pick up my stuff and then go back to L.A. Oh, man. Um, so that, that was quite of a hectic week. So after that, uh, we show up on set, which, oh, my God, it was insane. I mean, I'm sure they, they've talked about it already, but I mean, they did build some practical sets, but what blew me out of the park was the giant, giant, giant screen that they use mm. to do the environments. And there was some moments where I couldn't even tell what was real and what wasn't because wow. it, it all matches with the lighting and everything. So it, it, it's insane. The technology that they used, uh, there was a moment in one of the scenes that I did that I, kind of completely got nauseous because of how like real it felt wow so um what i can say was that i again i played a biker scout in it um i can't tell you the context of it because that episode hasn't aired yet and um but the way (laughs) i'm very known to be an airhead (laughs) and um i tend to put my armor upside down sometimes (laughs) so um one of my kneecaps or both of them my knee pads were upside down so that's uh how you can tell me uh to see who i am oh on the show. nice so we'll be able yeah. to tell that's albie right yeah. there that's awesome so it's actually in the trailer one of the trailers i was like okay great my first you know live action debut and my stuff is upside down <laughs> <That's pretty funny. laughs> oh i love it yeah yeah, but it, it was really cool interacting with the set, seeing what was real, what wasn't, how sets are being built, um, and just interacting with the cast and crew. And it, it was just it was just a great experience. Mm, mm, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very <laughs> epic. Yeah, setting the mood. Now, as in like the charity base or the outer rim, because the outer rim is kind of like you know a paid gig. Um, that's mostly just like for bigger things like that, uh, like for the show or for bigger events. Um, like, well, for the charity stuff, just normal Fiber first, where we don't get paid for. Um, I think the uh, man, the best ones ha- always to me what resonates are the hospital visits. So we'll go to like Shriners hospitals and visit the kids. Um, you always just leave like just in utter awe like these poor little kids you know knowing their fate that they may not you know make it and then just making them smile at least for a second just forgetting why they're there it just makes everything worth it yeah and and that just kind of goes back for me to how important star wars is to so many people and how it isn't you know only entertainment you know and a diversion from reality but it's also um like a source of good just even the community and the fan base you know the 501st being a great example of that um going to hospitals and just making the day of some kids that are having a horrible day you know and and just in a horrible situation so that's that's a really cool thing so thanks for giving your time to do that 
Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, how much did you get to interact with the other cast and crew? Oh, wow. So so I will say that Giancarlo was in uh, the scenes we were filming, so I got to interact with him a lot. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. So he, he, oh, man, he is a scary person. Is he really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, scary, not in like the, Ooh, bad man type of scary, scary, meaning he is such an amazing actor where you've seen him in such like bad roles, you know, like breaking bad and stuff like that and how he just switches it off, like in a snap, like completely different and then just like super nice and afterwards. And then they yell action and he just completely back to like the bad guy. And it's just, it's very scary seeing how he can switch it on and off. Um, really cool guy. Um, we did interact a little bit with Taika, uh, super, super chill dude. <laughs> um, not much of him cause he was just out on the set. Uh, but we got to interact a lot with Gina and <laughs> at craft services. At oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't in costume or anything. So I really don't know what she was doing. Mm. Um, but just hanging out. I got to interact with her. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, got to hang out a little bit with Pedro. He, he he's a cool guy. Uh, Dave Filoni was there. Uh, John Favreau. Um, the day we were there, we heard George Lucas was on set, but we didn't really see him. Oh, okay. Now, have you ever met George Lucas uh, in the past? I have. Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, a few times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a few times. Very, very, very quiet guy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but uh, my favorite, honestly, was Taika. Super, super cool dude. You know, you just you just talk to him, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, cool. Uh, well, you know, well, let's let's just hang out." I'm like, oh my god, I'm just talking to Korg right now. Like, it's it's it was really amazing. That's really cool. Really cool experience. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. One of the things I always like to ask with cosplayers is, "How did you get into costuming? Like, what drew you into this, and Star Wars costuming in particular?" That's a very good question. So. You know, it's like any everyone, you know, we see these characters, even just as kids, you're like, oh, my God, I want to be a stormtrooper so bad, right? Or just any other character. So, you know, we grow up, we, you know, we make money. And so now we can buy those things, right? <laughs> to be the, you know, top nerd that you can be. So, I mean, and then just finding out what they do as the 501st Legion and you get to dress up as one of, you know, the characters that you've always wanted to be uh, really resonated with me, especially the the charity aspect of it and that's what drew me in and i just started messaging people and got into it and now i'm just part of this giant family that's awesome has there been any talk um as they talk about doing a season two have they have they contacted mm-hmm. you guys to being in that at all uh no they haven't mm. yet okay. um but i do believe i think they just started filming right. so a uh, fingers crossed yeah fingers fingers crossed. yeah i hope they i hope they bring you guys back now it, do you know if you talked about the outer rim crew do you know if part mm-hmm. of the outer rim crew was part of episode three with the stormtrooper outfits there um a lot of the stormtroopers were some of them were stuntmen and but the majority of them were actually just the 501st oh wow that's cool yeah, yeah that's really cool now did, did any of the stunt professionals uh, get costumes donated to them by the 501st or the Outer Rim group? Uh, not that I'm aware okay. of. I, I don't okay. know. Okay. Because we, so the way it was filmed, it was 
it was many different sets and you know like some people over here filming their scenes other people over here filming their scenes so it's not like it was just filmed like in one giant time so it was like different things going on like b-roll and all that stuff so uh, again i i I don't know i just know from what i did yeah and and do you have any knowledge of i I know that there's a lot of um, mandalorian crews as well and i know that they've Mm -hmm. had a lot of mandalorian armor in the backgrounds of a lot of the shows earlier shows yeah were they were they all from the different mandalorian groups too no, those were all actors. Oh, okay. okay yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. It would be cool, you know, like if they, you know, got rid of all these um, back, you know, not not the backdrop people, but just actors and stuff and uh, extras and actually just get us, you know, 501st and the Mandalorian Mercs and the Rebel Legion yeah. to like just fill in. So it would be kind of cool. That would be awesome, yeah. Because sometimes our costumes are way better than theirs, to be honest. <laughs> I know, I know. Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, and, and, and that speaks to uh, like what they told you, which is you guys have spent years crafting your suits, whereas yeah. they have a production team that has, you know, sometimes three or four months to do dozens and dozens of suits. It's like, of course, somebody yeah. who's been able to spend years on their suits, you know, it, it works out really well to, to include them. Yeah, and it's again, it's just the love and the sweat and blood and tears that we put into it. So we do it to like the top notch and. And it shows. Absolutely. Well, I thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Really good oh, thank to you. not only hear your thoughts about the show, but um, hear your, about your inclusion in the show as well. Uh, and hopefully, I hope they call you back for, for season two, because I'd love to see uh, more of the 501st and the Outer Rim group show up in these shows. It's really fun to see them. Yeah. It, it, again, like it was a great experience. It was awesome. And it sucked not being able to talk about it, yeah. but I'm glad <laughs> it's finally out. And I'm glad that everyone's taking it in as, you know, we, the joy that we felt filming and just seeing everyone love it. It's just amazing. Well, that's it for today's show. Special thanks to Albie, Justin, Ashley, and Daryl for joining me today. Make sure you subscribe to the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes on The Mandalorian. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. Make sure you check out the Story Geeks podcast as well. We're doing a Star Wars series over there, including our top 10 Star Wars characters. and You don't want to miss out on that. And if you want more information on how to join the Story Geeks Club or more information on the Story Geeks network in general, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the Story Geeks Club. You can become a part of the club for only $2 a month. Our friendly neighborhood club members get access to my Almost Daily Journals, which are short podcasts that I record almost daily. If you upgrade to $3 a month, you can vote on upcoming show topics. And as I mentioned, join some of our shows as we record them live. At $5 a month, our Guardians of the Solar System tier, you get all of our discussion questions and prompts before each show comes out. Our Guardians of the Solar System are Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, and Wade Johnson. At $8 a month, the tier we call our Cosmic Heroes, you get to choose an aftercast topic for every series. Our Cosmic Heroes are Jim Baldwin, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, and Ray DeLeon. And finally, at $19 a month, you get a free t-shirt and you get to join us on an aftercast every single month. Our one extra special, Mastermind of Multiverse Madness, is Connie Moe. 
We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.